Hello, everybody. I'm Claire. My husband and I pastor the church. He is not here today. He has a gigantic exam and paper due tomorrow. He works full-time, and so he's also working on his master's, and there's just not enough hours this weekend. So he's playing hooky. Yeah, I pray that he gets it done, because I would like to see him the rest of the week. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. So we've been on a very long series, studying a letter. Could you imagine? How can anybody study a letter that long? Anyway, yeah, since February, March, April, yeah, around there. That's amazing, okay? And it was written by a guy named Paul who was an apostle. And he was in prison when he wrote it. And he wrote it to a church that he really indirectly knew. He didn't really personally know them. That church was planted by some folks he discipled from uh, Philippi. And so Paul would be called kind of like a grandfather of the church, you know, because he definitely influenced what was happening there, but he had never really seen the folks. So he's writing this letter to some people that he knows about through others. And uh, he mentions... And we've been talking about, he didn't mention, but we've been talking about how Colossians is kind of like a worldview book. You know, it's kind of like you put these lenses on and it's how you view everything in life. And what we've discovered is the worldview of Colossians is that Christ is the center of everything. He's sufficient. He's, he's all that we need. And all the principles that Paul talks about in that book is with the understanding that Christ is right in the middle of it. So um, last week, I talked about a key word in Colossians 4, 6. Where is she? There she is, Karen. Karen, you are the motivation for this sermon. Yes. When Karen was sharing, she and I had a little short dialogue about the word grace. And, I, man, right then I thought, oh, i got to say more. So I am saying the more. And so we started last week, and we had a great time. I mean, God really came, and I think someone's really figured out, like, wow, this is a very important letter to hone on to. So we are going to talk about the word again, and I am stuck. I need some help. Somebody with female hands. <laughs> this is, like, too tight. Okay. Be patient, be patient. Thanks, sweetie. Okay, key word. Here we go. Okay, and this word has been misunderstood, and it's been misapplied, and because it has, we have missed out on a major portion of why we can do Colossians, Philippians, Hebrews, Acts, anything. And when we misinterpret this word, we're really impotent. So we're going to look at this word, and the word is grace. And lots of folks in the church community will interpret or define the word grace as unmerited favor. Getting something we don't deserve. Okay, it's, God, I'm sorry I messed up. I just really need your grace. And really, even in our cultural understanding, we have this word that grace means mercy. So what we've done is we've taken our cultural thought of this word and have applied it to us as Christians when really it has a very strong biblical meaning that if we don't use, we fail to understand how we're going to do anything that Paul or Jesus ever have asked us to do. Otherwise, we're going to fall into religion. And religion stinks. Okay? Remember I told you last week, God is not going to empower you to live a religious life. Anybody remember that? And some of you were shocked. 
Or you thought you signed up for that. And then God say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not what I'm about. Now, um, a couple of Fridays ago, we invited some friends over to play cards. And we're playing this card game where if you don't have a very good hand, you can, or, you know, you can say pass, okay? And so then you pass, right? So I'm looking at my hand, I said, pass. And then I looked again and went, ah, I should have played. And so one of the folks who were there, a very nice person, said, that's okay, well, we have grace for you, Clara. And, you know, this is before I had preached, right? But I was working on it. And I, everything in me wanted to say, that's not grace, you know. And I, but instead I said, I want to talk to you after the sermon next Sunday and tell me what you think. Because that is the world's mentality on the word grace. Okay, so now let's look at this. Yeah, got to find where I am. Oh, that's because that comment was kind of random. That's why I have to figure out where I am. Okay. All right. So if we're going to confuse these two words and we're going to try, we, last week we talked about let's not confuse these two words and let's come to an agreement on what the definition is. And this is a definition that I borrowed from a guy named James Ryle who once was a pastor of the vineyard in Boulder, Colorado. And this is his definition that we're going to use as a congregation and I'm using in the teaching. Grace is the empowering presence of God enabling you to do all he wants you to do and all he has called you to be. So now the definition changes. It's no longer you don't deserve it. It's, wow, God, you want to give me power to live this incredible life or my lousy life, whatever. You want to give me power to live this life? Now, I want us to look at the Bible. And if you have yours, I want you to look at the beginning of the book of Colossians, this series all over again. Oh, my gosh, poor people. Colossians 1-2. To the saints and faithful, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ and Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, with the current understanding of grace and Paul opening this letter in Colossians, we see him say grace and peace. We can no longer say, like, okay, he's saying to Luke, Luke, hey, would you start the letter, dear friends, Colossians, blah, 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 grace and peace. I mean, it's not like your casual greeting here. This guy had an encounter with God, several encounters with God, that when he said the word grace, it meant a whole bunch of stuff. Colossians 1, verses 3 to 5. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. Since I heard from you guys from Epaphras, you know what I said to God? God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. The lights have turned on to these folks, and now they have this sense of hope and belief in Christ Jesus. And the proof of it is their love for one another. The gospel is on the move, is bearing fruit. I mean, Paul is excited, and it's all because of God's grace. Verse 6, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Now, does anybody know what understand means? Well, if you do, you know what the word means. It's a compound word, understand, and it means to stand under. Okay, so you're standing under the truth of grace. 
And when we stand under the truth of grace, we're going to experience the empowering presence of God to be what he wants you to be and do what he wants you to do. Now, is that what you experience in your Christianity? Now, I'm going to say three words very slowly, and I want you to check what happens to your heart as I say them, okay? Christ. Christian. Christianity. You notice how we're getting further and further from the root. Sometimes we don't match up. You noticed? And the world knows that. Some of our friends could care less what we think about Christianity. They want to care less hear hear you talk about Jesus. Because we don't match up with the Christ. You know, what happens is we see folks say, hey, Jesus, I have a plan. You and me, baby, we're going to go a long way. Just watch me, Jesus. I'm going to take you there. And that is totally in the flesh. That's not God. When we try to manipulate like that, our Christianity is very far from our Christ. Colossians 1.6, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The gospel should be bearing fruit. And if it isn't, there's something wrong. And I think one of the things that is wrong is that we do not understand the word grace nor how to apply it to our lives. So let's pray. Well, Lord... um, It wasn't Christianity that um, moved me to you, but you definitely used Christians to move me towards you. And I thank you for the Christians in my life that have been the links to help me discover you. Some of them have been so incredible, Lord, that I couldn't help but want you. And others, Father, along the way have been confusing, have caused damage, and have confused us. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that for those of us in this room that are confused by Christianity or by certain Christians, Lord, that you would capture their hearts this morning with your love. Because you're the real deal, Jesus. You are beautiful. And when any of us come to meet you and know you, we know it's real. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be, during this teaching time, changing our hearts and giving us hope about how we can live the life that you have called us to live. In your precious name, amen. All right, so I want to start with the question, have you been born again? Now, can you tell when a person's been born again or not? You know, there's a joke that, you know, if you go to a garage, that doesn't make you a garage, it doesn't make you a car, right? Or if you go to a donut shop, that means that doesn't mean you're a policeman, right? <laughs> but just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian, right? And as we look at Paul, we look at his encounter with Christ at the Damascus Road. Before he saw Christ, Paul was an obsessed person. And he was obsessed with his religion and his belief. He loved Judaism. He loved its traditions. And so when people were leaving the faith of Judaism and going to the group of people called the way the christians 
he was horrified and he was angry and he sought uh, legal and spiritual authority to stop it. Okay, that is what we that is the Paul that runs into Jesus and Jesus hits him smack on the road. He falls off the, the horse and he says, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, God? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And Paul was so changed from that day that his name, which was a Hebrew name, which is Saul, he changed. Because he didn't want to any longer associate himself with being just Hebrew and Jewish. And he took a Roman name, Paul, because he was changed. And from that day on, we see Paul just crazy nuts about Jesus. And his life was completely transformed. Well, I would say he was born again. I would say he had the kaboom experience. <laughs> let's look at Romans 7.15. And let's listen to what Paul has to say. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do, I do not want, is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer that I do it, but sin that dwells within me. The guy is nuts. He's <laughs> tormented. Do you see? And you're thinking, is that the born-again Paul? What happened between Romans and the Second Corinthians passage we looked at last week? I don't want to do that. That's good, that's bad. Good, bad. Got it? I do want to do that. I don't want to do that. I did it. I mean, can anybody else agree with him? If you had read this letter, you would say, like, wow, he just read my mail. <laughs> Yesterday, last week, I mean, you would feel a sense of somebody told him about me. Oh, wretched man that I am, will I ever be free from this terrible dilemma that I want and I don't and I do what I don't? What happened to the Paul who healed the sick, cast out demons? I mean, do you know that he had so much power that when he walked down the streets and there was a sick person right there, they got healed? I mean, that's awesome. And he's got this battle going on? What's the deal? 2 Corinthians 12, this is what happened to Paul. And let's look, we looked at this verse last week, and we're just going to touch it a little bit today. 12, 7 through 9. To keep me from being so elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Three times Paul said, Oh God, take it away. You ever prayed that prayer? I have. Three times. And he's not, I'm not talking about, oh, he prayed about it with a nice little. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, the guy was bawling. I'm sure 
in tears, just snot coming out of his face, right? And he gets up and he thinks, okay, it got taken care of this time. Yeah. And he felt good for about two or three days. Bam, there it is again. Have you ever prayed yourself to exhaustion like that? I have. And three times Paul prays that God would remove the beginning sin in his life. Defeat. And the third time, this is what God says. Paul, isn't it enough that I have happy feelings toward you? Even though you don't deserve it. I'm offering you my unmerited favor right now, Paul. And that should be enough for you to run along and be with your friends. No, we discovered that God said, my grace is sufficient. How many times? This is, I think, what happened. Take it away. My grace is sufficient. Take it away. My grace is sufficient. God, take it away. My grace is sufficient. My power is made strong in your weakness. And you know, I want to touch you, Paul, with power. In your failures, I want to be there in the most difficult times. The devil knows he's got you down now. He's pinned you down. Let me handle it. Let me give you my grace. Let me give you my power. It is sufficient for you, power. It's sufficient for you, Paul. Your testimony is not that you've overcome with your own power. You know that? So none of us can boast. Your testimony is not how self-disciplined you are. You get up and read the Bible and pray. And you, you, you. That is not your testimony. My power in you is sufficient. So Paul finally gets it. And so when he says 99 times of the 131 times in the New Testament the word grace is because he got it. He understood what it meant. And this revelation, I believe, will change our lives. It changed Paul. Paul got changed to Damascus, but he had other conversion experiences along the way. We all do. 1 Corinthians 15:10 But by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me has not been in vain on the contrary I worked harder than any of them though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me Is Paul talking about unmerited favor? No. He's talking about the empowering presence of God. Now I'm going to give you some homework. I know some of you are going to be on uh, Thanksgiving break next week. And this is the homework I want you to do. I want you to get a concordance. A concordance is a book that has all the lists of the Bibles. And you can look at uh, gateway.com for a concordance. Look in there. And then look up the word grace in the New Testament. And the first ten wor- verses, you can do all of them, okay? There's going to be, you know, I said 131 of them, okay? But look at the first ten, right? And I want you, every single time you see the word grace, put the word unmerited favor. Just do it for the first ten. And the next time around, put the words, God's empowering presence. And you tell me next week, well, I'm not going to be here next Sunday, but two weeks from now, you tell me which one makes more sense. And I tell you that the Bible is going to explode in your hands when you see the empowering presence of God all over the pages of the Bible. And that's, that's how he intended us to live our life, through his power, not our own. 
Romans 5, 20 to 21. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Did you know that? As if we needed help. Apparently we do. But as God sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us high standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, we know that sin is a power. When we're facing sin, when we're facing that, that area where we are just tormented by, do you need God's unmerited favor right then? Is that what you want? When you're under attack, and sin flexes his muscle. And he's yelling at you. And he's telling you you're no good. Do you want unmerited favor? What kind of defense is that? If I take out of my holster to shoot that thing, and I get unmerited favor, okay, I guess that means I'm going to fail. You know, sin is not a philosophy. It's not an idea. It is a power. It is a source. And when it wants to triumph over us and take over us, it is difficult. And we feel pinned down to the ten count. I do not want to hear from God. I know you're having a hard time right now, Clara. Bless your heart. And that's okay. You're going to fail. And I'm going to love you anyway, baby. I don't want to hear that from God. Now, you just keep it up, honey, and you just go back in there and keep tithing. What? Is that what my daddy's going to tell me when I'm under attack? No. No, thank you. I have found something very different, much more powerful than my father hands to me when I am under attack, and that is his grace, his empowering presence to enable me to be what I'm to be and do what I'm to do. So when the evil one comes against you and you feel pinned, remember that. Now this week I got to pray for a friend. And when I was praying for that person, I saw this person bound up on the corner of a boxing ring. And that's the motivation for this uh, PowerPoint. Not this one, but the other ones. uh, My daughter who does my PowerPoint, I told her, I want to get a wrestling, you know, like a boxing Because that's what it feels like sometimes. Sometimes we feel like we're bound up in that little corner. Ah. Okay, let's look at Acts 20, 32. And the background here, Paul is saying goodbye to his friends. He's never going to see them again, most of them. He's headed to Rome, and as most of you know, he was executed in Rome. So he's saying goodbye, and these are his parting words. We have it documented for us. And now I entrust you to God. And the message of his grace, that is, able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Wow, grace can build me up. Can you imagine, these are your last words to the people you're thinking, wow, is the Christianity going to go another century, Jesus? I'm dying and I know I'm one of the big guys. Is the church going to make it? Wow, look, Paul, 2,000 years later. Yeah. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace. It is not the throne of I like you, you don't deserve it. 
That is not the throne he's talking about. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He wants it to come boldly to be empowered. Yes, he will give us mercy. You see that? It is there. When you've blown it, he will give us his mercy. Okay, son. Okay, daughter. I forgive you. Now, what is it that you need from me right now to face that giant? You need my power, right? Go get it. We are welcomed when we feel less wanted. I want you to look at that verse that I just read as an open invitation when you're struggling, when you feel the most worthless, when you're in the grip of it. Receive the mercy and then receive the power. Don't just receive the mercy and call grace mercy, mercy. No, you need both. He wants you to be bold. Now, the word bold in Hebrew means don't apologize. Stop it. It's kind of like when you sing and you sing really bad and you sing really loud and you sing boldly. It's like when you cut in line and you say, move over, Pope. God wants to talk to me right now. That's the kind of boldness he's talking about. Come into my presence, son. My mercy will cover you, and my power will leave with you. Let's look at Galatians 5. And Paul, in Galatians 5, he is mad. He is really mad. So when you read Galatians, just read it with a mean tone. And he's mad, okay? Because, I mean, Corinthians, he's pretty sarcastic, okay? But Galatians, he is really mad. And what's happened is a group of them have become followers of Christ. They're really into it. They're enjoying it. Somebody comes in, confuses them with, okay, Jesus is cool, but in order to really have God's favor, you've got to do these things, okay? And Paul just says, okay, would you cut off their you-know-whats? Because I am angry at them. I mean, read it. It is very violent. He's angry. Galatians 5. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the entire law. You want to be justified by the law, have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Wow. Your self-righteous deeds, your efforts to try to get approved by God, Cuts you off from the very thing you need. Grace. God's empowering presence. You know, I'm just going to obey the Ten Commandments and be cool with God. You know what? If you're going to do that, you don't get to pick and choose. If you're going to be under the law, you're going to have to do all of it. And you're not going to be able to do it. And he knows that. And he delights to show you the better way. Now, what does life look like without grace? And Paul Shoots it at them in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now, I'm gonna, I didn't put it up here because I want to just listen. This is from um, the message. Eugene Peterson wrote the message version, and I just want you to listen to it, okay? This is what life looks like without grace. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzy and joyless grabs for happiness. 
trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. This is what life would look like without grace. And, you know, we have to say I, we live kind of in a graceless society right now. And some of you maybe said, well, that kind of sounds like me. And if that's the case, you do need God's mercy, but more than that, you need his grace. Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. Let's see what grace brings to us. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no okay, to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearance, appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace brings salvation to us, and it brings us power in the midst of the society in which we live in. And grace is our tutor. Look here. He says it teaches us. So it becomes our tutor, and it teaches us to say no, and it's going to teach us to say yes. No to evil ways and yes to God. This is part of what grace does. Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What a promise. And once we have grace in our life, we begin to experience the salvation and the power. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. You know, this verse is probably the most famous verse that Martin Luther used okay when we think of martin luther we think of this verse okay it was what he used to accuse the roman catholic church for selling indulgences okay this is the that verse and we see god here in this verse he provides us abundant life he provides us power he provides us faith he provides us a plan and finally he provides us the empowering presence to fulfill that plan do you get that like he's figured it all out? Like he knows what you need? And he's got to figure it out to the very end how you're going to be able to do it? He's not going to ask you to do something he's not planning on empowering you, but you can do all kinds of things that he's not going to empower you. Grace is our tutor, and he teaches us to say no and to say yes. And as we progress in the Lord, we're going to find ourselves growing in him and growing in grace growing in the knowledge of his empowering presence. We're going to experience that. We're going to experience what it's like to have God there and telling us, don't do that. And we say, you betcha, I won't. You don't have to be angry right now. Mm-mm. You can be at peace. No, you don't have to pick that thing up. Mm-mm. Just leave it. And you're going to experience it. Get up right now. 
Okay, I can get up. You know, if, let's just pretend that you were to give your life to somebody else for a week, just one week, okay, you trade it. And it's somebody who's a pre-believer, someone who hasn't committed to Christ yet. And they were to live in your, your life, okay, your Christian life. Now, I'm not talking about whether you're rich and poor, because if you're poor, you're like, nobody wants my life, you know, or you're married or not married. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your Christian relationship with God and how you work out your Christianity. Would at the end of the week, would they say, could I keep this for another week? That's, that's what God wants us to experience. He wants us to experience his empowering presence so that if that could happen, if they made a movie, switch lives, you know, with a Christian and non-Christian, I mean, I hate to see what that would look like in the movie right now. But, you know, if it was a good one, you know, the real thing. Would they say, can I have it for another week? I hope so. You know, Satan likes to dress himself beautifully. And sin looks attractive. It feels good. It's pleasurable. And Satan knows that. And he, but he knows it's going to kill you at the end. Okay, So he puts glitter and sparkles and nice smells on it. Okay, If there was a billboard advertising alcohol, you are not going to see a drunk man on the floor in his vomit, saying, buy my brandy. Right? He's got to dress it up. It's got to be a sexy girl, and they're all smiling. That is the pleasure of sin, and Satan knows that. And those of us who have been stuck in our sin and hate it, you know, some of us don't hate it yet, but if we're in that point where we're saying, oh, God, I want to hate this thing that I do, you're on the right track. And there comes a point where you're like, I hate this thing that I do. That's where Paul was. Good, bad. I hate it. I want it. If you are there, then you need to blame God. Because he got you there. He destroyed the pleasure of sin in your life. And that is a symptom of someone who's following after God. So be encouraged. That is a good thing. Okay. For the wages of sin, this is Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we have grace, not only do we get free from the penalty of sin and free from the wages of sin, free from the penalty. Okay, I'm talking Christianese. Let me how can I say this? When you get to that point where you hate this thing that you do and we see that that's a God thing and then God says, okay, can I pay for this thing that you do so you don't have to feel like you've got to pay for it anymore? That's a God thing. That's awesome. Grace does that. And there comes to a point then, not only that, but you want nothing to do with that and you begin to see the freedom of the penalty of sin. And you begin to see the freedom of the power of sin. You're going to begin to experience this empowering presence that can help you to battle this thing. And so it doesn't rule your life anymore. Let's look at Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. God has taken fallen sinners and he has freed them. He's reclaimed them. Okay, you're not this 
evil ones anymore you're mine. And I want to give you a power and a presence and my love to help you live the life I wanted you to live, not the life that the devil wants you to live. Now, I want you to look at the person next to you. Just look at somebody. See the person next to you? Okay. If that person sitting next to you is a follower of Christ, they have inside them the power to live the empowered life of God. They have in them the power that rose Jesus from the dead. They have, look at the person next to you. They have the power to heal the sick and cast out demons. And ultimately, when the evil one comes to that person, they can kick him in the you-know-what. In the Latin, it is called the kickimus maximus budimus. Everybody over 30 laughed. Because you all took Latin. You remember. The ones who did take Latin are not laughing. They know those are not real words. Okay. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout. This is, where, this is a picture of life without sin ruling over our lives. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. This is great. A a world without sin. It's hard to imagine that. But that's what we're going to experience. Grace gives us a world without the presence of sin. Now, last week, I talked to you guys about needing the empowering presence of God in your life. And many of you stood, if not all of you stood, to receive it. There are going to be times when God's going to ask you to heal somebody. And by faith, you're going to walk it out through the empowering presence of God. And it's going to take faith. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think faith means. Faith means, oh, my gosh. Is true. Okay, you can take that to Dallas Theological Seminary. Oh my gosh, is true. Okay, so when I tell you this morning, later on this morning, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come fill you with this empowering presence. Some of you are going to say, Oh my gosh, it's true. And you're going to stand up. Right? And faith in order to be, oh my gosh, it's true, is always accompanied by action. Okay, you're not going to, read James, the book of James. You, you, faith is not this little pedestal, little statue that we put on a little plaque that says faith. A little rock that says faith. No, it is action. It's, oh my gosh, it's true, and you take action. Now, there have been times when guys told me, go and lay hands on that person, and they're going to be healed. And I say, oh my gosh, it's true. And every time that people come up to me and say, Clara, I believe that if you lay your hands on me, I'm going to be healed. They have, oh my gosh, it's true. And I've got, huh? <laughs> but you know what happens in the spirit world? Oh my gosh, it's true on them, overrides my, huh? I'm telling you. So when you're in the community of the body of Christ and somebody has the, oh my gosh, it's true, get close to them. And say, would you pray for me? 
So I can see this thing. It's this thing called faith that you're going to take action on. I want you to share with your Muslim friend, oh my gosh, it's true. I want you to invite them for dinner. Oh my gosh, it's true. Press into the oh my gosh, it's true. And you're going to experience the empowering presence of God. And you're going to be able to say no to the evil one when he tempts you with lies and he accuses you. And he tells you you're worthless. You are worthless. That is not the time to say, oh my gosh, it's true. That's to say, no, I will not receive this. God's grace is sufficient for me. His empowering presence says no to you. And I think that is the Paul that we know. And I don't think that those thoughts, whatever his thing was, whatever his pickle was, that when they came, and he's thinking, well, I thought I'd never think this thought again. I mean, I thought I was free of this thing. Hey, you still need the grace of God, right? And I think that is where we get mixed up. Okay, we think, well, hallelujah, I got zapped by God, and I'm free, and I'm cool, and a year goes by, and no problem, and all of a sudden, bam, there it is again. And that is when you need the grace of God. All right? Okay. So let's see where we're headed. We're almost done. Okay, this is a good one. John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. What an idiot. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you guys, abundantly means above the ordinary, above what is common, the supernatural. That is what that word, abundantly means nothing unless you put some other phrases to it, okay? And so that is the kind of life that God wants to give us, above the normal, above the ordinary. That's what I want for you guys. That's where we're going to stop. All right, so do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the empowering presence of God, and you sense, oh my gosh, it's true, then I want you to stand. We're just going to have him fill you up, okay? God wants to empower us to be what he wants us to be and to do what he wants us to do, okay? This is not... I want a Cadillac, okay? This is being empowered to do and be what God wants you to do, and it's something you need every day. Well, I got prayed last week. I got it already. Then you missed the sermon. I blew it, okay? We need this every single day. Okay. Holy Spirit. Well, we just receive who you are. We receive your empowering presence to be who you want us to be and to do what you want us to do. And we just let go of our religious efforts, Lord. They are stinky. Our efforts 
are not enough and they cut us off from your grace. And so, Lord, we just, we just lay down our religion. We lay it down to your feet, Jesus. And we ask you, would you empower us with your grace, Jesus Christ? Come, Holy Spirit. Now, there's some folks in here that are tied up, like I was telling you about that friend, in the fighting ring. And they're in the corner, and they're tied up with ropes and tapes, and you're, in, you're addicted, you're tormented, and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's just like I can hardly move. You feel paralyzed. And, Father, I ask for those right now that you would come with your power and break the ropes, break those lies, break the shame, the guilt, off of our friends, Lord, off of our loved ones, off of our family. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, those who are free would just pray, asking God for his power to come. For those who are tied up, come, Lord. Come, Jesus. Free them up, Lord. Let them experience your mercy, Lord, your acceptance, Lord. Let them experience what they don't deserve, your mercy, And Father, for us who are going to figure this out, what am I supposed to do and who am I? Lord, thank you for your answer and your word. Thank you what you're going to speak to these folks, to all of us individually, very specifically, Lord, in the next few weeks. You're going to be really clear about some things. You're going to remove the confusion and you're going to put very clearly, Lord, your specific will in their life. Father, for ministry calling, Lord, for careers, for who they're to marry, Lord, where they're supposed to live, what they're supposed to do, Lord, just on a daily basis, Father. You're going to release revelation through your empowering presence, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would increase grace in this church. Father, they would increase in it, Lord. As they walk and say yes, increase it, Lord. Increase it, Father. Every single time they say yes, Lord, increase it, Father. And when they've said no, Father, forgive them. And give them grace in Jesus' name. Now, if you are somebody who says, man, I've got myself in a pickle. I've got an area in my life where I need God's empowering presence. Would you raise your hand? Because I'm going to have folks come and pray for you, okay? Just raise your hand. Because, and they're going to be very gentle. They won't embarrass you. And they're just going to just get people come around you and to pray for you, okay? Now, David right here, he's got his hand up. So can some guys go over there? Anyone else? There's Juan back there. You guys, some folks over there around him. Did I miss anybody? Okay, now let's just, they're going to be praying for him, okay? Just go ahead. I, um, there's some other stuff that God wants to do.
And God's on several of you. Some of you are experiencing manifestation of God's presence in you, okay? You're feeling something inside, shaking inside, okay? And it's God's power. And I just want you to let him come and touch you. He's empowering you. It may feel a little different than the way you normally feel at church, but it's okay. God's different than the way we think he is sometimes. Okay, um, Jim, can you put some appropriate uh, music on, please? Now, are there words from folks in the church that you feel that need to be given? Because I don't want to just be the only one here. <laughs> 